Okay, I'm going to read this in Greek. It's a passage from Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. And then David's going to follow up in English. Tuto on Lego Kai Martu Romai and Kurio. Meketi humas peripatein kathos kai ta ethne. Peripate and matayoteti tu nus auton. Eskatomenoi te dianoia hontes. Apelotriomenoi tes zoes tu theo diatain agnonian. Tain usan en autois. Diatain prorosen tes cardias autom. Hoitines apel gecotes. Hautus paradokan te aselegea es egasian akatharosias pases and pleonetia. Humes de ug autus emathete ton Christon. Ege autan hecusate kai en auto edicacthete kathos esten aletheia and to Iesu. Apathesai humas kata ten proteron anast rofen ton paleon anthropon ton theromenon kata tas epithumias tes apates. Anenusathe de to numati to nus humon. Kayendusaste Tan kainon, anthropon, tan kata, theon. Ketistenta, and dikaiosia, sune, kai hasiateti, tes aletheas. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So in case you didn't know, Dylan's not a native Greek speaker. She, um, but she did pretty well, huh? She did great. <clears throat> and thanks, David, also for your reading in, in English. Hi, for those of you who I don't know, I'm Josh. Um, I'm one of the pastors here at Cole. I work with growth groups, young adults, and the Cole Center for Biblical Studies. And uh, Dylan was one of my Greek students last summer and through the fall. Uh, And so we were sitting in class, and I said, I'm about to preach. And she said, well, I'll read the Greek for you. So she volunteered to do that. I didn't put any pressure on her, um, but I was very thankful that she did, partly because it gives me a chance to 
you know, for shameless self-promotion. I get to talk about uh, the Cole Center for Biblical Studies classes. Um, we've got some going right now, but we're having another round start in, at the end of March, toward the end of March, so keep your eye open for that. And any of you who want to join us for Greek this next summer, we're starting in June, so feel free to join us. The other reason I was excited to have the Greek read is there's a couple things in the Greek, in the translations, that I'm not real happy with in this passage. And I think um, we can make a little more sense of the passage if we translate things a little differently. So one of those words, I don't know if you caught it, a couple times, anthropon or anthropos shows up a couple times in our passage. Um, And so watch out, we're going to have a Greek discussion later. So about anthropos, the anthropos is coming. But let's pray. Father, we praise you. We thank you for your son and for his victory over sin and death. We thank you that you are making a new body uh, in Christ, that we are part of that new body. We thank you for that and we praise you. We thank you for Paul and for revealing yourself to us through his letters. Would you reveal to us this morning more about yourself and more about what you're doing in the world through this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. We praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, we have been in Ephesians chapter 4, which is all about the body of Christ. Been talking about the body for a while now. Uh, If you've been with us every week, it's been Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4. We're still in the body. We're still in Ephesians 4. And just for those of you who are, say, in Rod's hermeneutics class, remember what the three most important things of hermeneutics are? Three words of hermeneutics. Context, context, and context. Anybody can guess at that point. Our context is the body. We're all about the body in this chapter. So Paul's been telling us we are all the body. Jew, Gentile, slave-free, male, female. We're all brought together in Christ. He taught us, uh, we've been learning about how Jesus was victorious over sin and death, And that because of that, he's given us gifts. By our gifts, we're building up the body. We're building up each other in love. So, today we're going to talk more about the body. Also, in the next couple weeks, it's how do we live this out? How do we live as a body? So, next week, for example, uh, do not lie to one another. Speak the truth because you're all members of one another. You know, you wouldn't lie to yourself or you would hopefully not lie to yourself. We all do, but we try not to. Um, But it's all how do we live this out? And then so wives and husbands, children and parents, slaves and masters. How do we live out being the body? So again, our context is a body discussion. So this morning, Paul is presenting us in verses 17 to 24 with a contrast between the old humanity, the nations, the Gentiles' way of life, and the new humanity, this body of Christ that he's been talking about between the Gentile way of life and life in Christ, between the ways of this world and the ways of the new heavens and the new earth, the new creation that's coming. So my goal this morning is to open this passage so that we can see this vision that Paul is presenting for us, that we are a new humanity and the beginning of a new creation in Christ. Of course, we start by looking at the old humanity. So let's look at the text. So I say this and affirm together with the Lord that you no longer walk just as the Gentiles also walk. Uh, Just starting there, Paul is saying, I know and the Lord knows you are different now. You no longer live as the Gentiles live. 
And I, wanna, I think we want to be clear about what Paul means by Gentiles because earlier in chapter 2 and 3, remember, Paul said that Jew and Gentile have been brought together in Christ. He's not talking about non-Jews that have brought, been brought together in Christ, but he's talking about the nations, the nations without Christ, the nations who have rejected God. So the nations who have rejected God live like this. I'll go on. In the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded or alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. That's a really nice picture. (laughs) That's really what I want to be. I want to be futile and ignorant and darkened. It's not a good picture of humanity, is it? Again, look at the words that he uses. Futility, darkened, alienated, ignorant, hard-hearted, callous, sensual, impure, greedy. That's how the nations live. The nations without God, that's how they live. I was trying to think of um, any examples and I thought of, oh, every culture and society in the history of the world, basically, right? (laughs) Can you think of any examples of people who are not living this way? I can't. This is how the nations live. People who have rejected God, this is how they live. All nations, including ours, have rejected God and they will end in futility, alienation, sensual pursuit of impurity, and greed. Happy picture of humanity, right? Happy picture of what's going on in the world. I did find a, a movie clip that I want to show for you. It's kind of where this can lead. The movie is Wally, which is classic, good movie. And it, I think it's really interesting in that it gives us a picture of humanity. What do we want to be like as humans? It, it kind of asks the question, what are we going to be like? Um, the people in Wally are through, seen through the eyes of the robot Wally. They're hyper-consumers. They live for their own comfort. There's no purpose to life. They're alienated f- from one another. They speak to each other through computer screens and not, they've never had face-to-face contact with anyone pretty much. So keep an eye on what kind of image of humanity uh, the movie Wall-E gives us. So. I didn't know we had a pool. It's been there the whole time. You're not going anywhere. And I, I love the line, try lunch in a cup. And then do you hear the guy early? He says, if the straw doesn't bend, it's not any good. <laughs> Ugly, right? Picture of humanity. They don't even know how to walk because their muscles have atrophied over 700 years of riding around in those things. But that's, that's humanity. They live for comfort. Uh, I love the scene where Wally kind of pulls the thing back and the woman's screen disappears and she looks around. Whoa, I didn't know any of this was here. That's, she's been living there her whole life and she didn't know what was in front of her face. She just didn't know. Ignorance, futility, darkened minds, right? But... Later in the movie, and I'll let you uh, figure out what they choose, but humanity is given a choice. What kind of life? Do we want to keep living this kind of life? Or do we want to you know, go back and try re, uh, rehabiting earth and start the new creation there? So that's kind of the question. And for us, is there any hope in this world? If that's what humanity's like, is there hope in the world? Well, only in Christ, right? 
compare Paul's description of the nations here in 17 to 19 with what he's been describing earlier in chapter 4. So instead of futility, the body of Christ, which is 4, say 12 to 16, instead of futility, the body of Christ is growing to be like Christ. Instead of darkness and ignorance, the body is speaking the truth in love. Or if you were here last week and listened to Steve, truthing in love or living the truth in love. Instead of alienated from one another and from God, the body is unified in the faith and knowledge of Christ and is growing up into Christ, who is our head. Instead of hardness of heart, the body is mature. Instead of callous, the body shows love. Instead of sensuality, the body is being fitted together by what every part brings to it. Instead of greed, the body is growing together for the building up of itself in love. The body of Christ is a clear alternative to the ways of the world, to the lives and patterns of the nations. Because Christ has defeated sin and death, we don't have to live like the nations live. We can live like Christ because we are part of Christ. We are his body. So continuing through the verses, in verses 20 and 21, Paul says, But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. Paul says, as if it were possible, right? You did not learn Christ in this way. That's not how you were trained in Christ. I think Paul's being a little tongue-in-cheek here. Um, That would be like, you know, living futile, ignorant, callous, sensual lives could lead you to Christ-likeness. That just doesn't make any sense, right? That would be like a dead person learning to speak. That's not going to happen, right? Or, uh, in a time-appropriate analogy, that would be like the 49ers going to the Super Bowl (laughs) this year, right? I'm a 49er fan, which has been tragic this year, and the Packers and Steelers this afternoon are going to play for the Super Bowl, right? The 49ers, for them to play in the Super Bowl this year, they would have to be not 49ers, they would have to be Packers or Steelers, right? So, in order for... (laughs) It's very sad, um, but it's the case. Packers and Steelers are in the Super Bowl, 49ers are not. And for the 49ers to compete and maybe go to the Super Bowl next year, they would have to be made almost entirely new. We're off to a good start. We've got a new coach, but we need a new offensive coordinator, a new quarterback, a new D-line, and some O-line help. I mean, they need to be remade, right? They need to be made new, because this 49er thing at the moment really isn't working out. Just like the nations, right? The nations, for them to be Christ-like, to be all that God created them to be, uh, they would have to be not the nations. They would have to be made new. They would have to be made something else. Which I think is where Paul is headed with this rhetoric. And he, I think he's, the rhetoric is heating up now in 22 to 24. But do you get where he's headed? If you're a 49er, you're not going to play in the Super Bowl this year unless you become something else and be made all new. If you are the nations, you can't be like Christ unless you become something else and be made all new. So let's read those verses, 22 to 24. You've been taught that in reference to your former manner of life, you laid aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. 
Now we're getting into the Greek stuff that, uh, that I warned you about. Here, anthropos, the word anthropos, which means something like man or mankind or humanity, occurs twice in these uh, three verses. So in verse 22, lay aside the old, translated here, self. I don't really like that translation. Anthropos, if you can hear the, the echoes of the English, anthropos is like anthropology, right? Uh, which means the study of humanity or the study of people. The word anthropos means something like man or person or peop, you know, humanity, something like that. But remember, we're in a discussion about the body of Christ. And he's comparing the body with the Gentiles, with the nations. So I think Paul is intending us to think of anthropos here, the old self, and then the new self in verse 24. He's, he intends us to think of that as humanity, not self. I think self is implied. Self is part of the package. I was a sinner. I put off that sinful life, and I put on a new life, a new me, right? I think that's part of what he's getting at. But I think the bigger picture is we put off the Gentile way of life, the nation's way of life as the body of Christ, and we put on the body of Christ, the new humanity, uh, which is what he's going to get us to in verse 24. And that old humanity is being corrupted with the lusts of deceit, is what my translation said, or maybe deceitful lusts. And I think a, a good picture maybe for us of what that means is like pornography, right? There's nothing there, right? If you're looking at a TV screen and you're pornography, there's nothing there. And you know there's nothing there. You know you're being deceived, but you still want it anyway. I think that's what he means, right? Totally worthless, isn't it? That way of life is totally worthless. There is nothing there for you, is what he's saying. So that way of life is being totally destroyed it's being corrupted. There's nothing there. It's totally worthless. That's what he means there. So put off that way of life. Put on something. Be renewed is where he goes in verse 23. So what are we supposed to do? If I'm a 49er, I want to play in the Super Bowl. I have to be not a 49er. That's part of the deal. Uh, I have to be something else. I have to be made new. Makes sense then that Paul would say in verse 23 that we've been taught to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. The word for renewed literally means to be made young again or to be made new again. This is new creation language. We remember back, all the way back in Genesis 1, that God made the heavens and the earth and made humanity in his image. But Adam and Eve sinned and humanity has been sinful ever since. Well, in Christ, God is remaking humanity. He's remaking his creation. And in Revelation, we learn that he is making a new heavens and a new earth. But he has started with that new creation already. He has started that new heavens and new earth with us now. We are the beginning of the new creation. We are the first ones being made new. And in order for that to happen again, he has to make us new right at our core. The spirit of our mind is the words that he used. I think he's saying, right at your core, in your moral thinking, in your intellectual thinking, the way you make decisions, all of that has to be remade, made new, made something other than it was. 
So we're made new by Christ and by his spirit leading and guiding the body. So what does that actually, how does that actually happen? What does that practically kind of look like? Well, I think he's described it in uh, the early parts of chapter 4. So we are made new by the gifts that the victorious Christ has given to his body and by the men and women in the body using their gifts to build up the body led by Christ and by the Spirit. So the apostles giving us words and stories of Christ and applying them to different situations. Prophets speaking forth the word of God. Evangelists sharing the gospel of Christ. Pastors and teachers opening up the scriptures for us and shepherding us to live by the scriptures. And the rest of us, he lists a few gifts there, but he's given gifts to the rest of us too. The rest of us using our gifts to build one another up, to build up the body. That's how he's making us new. Love, truth, gifts, the scriptures used by Christ and guided by his Holy Spirit. These are the things that God is using to make the body new. We, the body of Christ, are something the nations without Christ just can't become because the victorious Christ is making us new by his spirit. Which leads us to verse 24, which I think is a, a real high point for Paul here in chapter 24, or in chapter 4. Verse 24, let me read that again in my translation. Put on the new humanity, which in the likeness or image of God has been created in true righteousness and holiness. So again, the word anthropos, which again is translated self in probably most of your translations. I'm translating as humanity because I think that's what Paul means. Put on the new humanity created in the likeness or image of God. Do you hear the echoes of Genesis 1? Right? In Genesis 1, God says, let us make mankind in our image. Here, Paul says, put on the new humanity which has been created in the likeness and image of God. In fact, for you uh, New Testament or Old Testament scholars, the Greek translation of the Old Testament is called the Septuagint. Paul and Jesus both had copies and both knew the Septuagint. The Greek word for mankind, let us make mankind in our image, is anthropos again, right? So here, Paul picks up the same word. I think he's really strongly drawing echoes from Genesis 1. In Genesis 1... God created humanity, Adam sinned in Genesis 3. Here, Paul is saying, put on the new humanity. You're a new creation. You are what God always intended you to be if you're in Christ. And again, the new heavens and the new earth, we're the beginning of that. We're the first of that. So you, brothers and sisters in Christ, you are a new creation. You are the beginning of Christ's kingdom you are the future of the world. Kind of fun to think about. I mean, some of us who are younger think about that a lot, right? We're the future. Some of you who are older, you are also the future. The future of the world is in you because you are in Christ. So, verse 24 has new creation language, new heavens and new earth, new creation. Verse 24, I think, also has new covenant language. That last phrase, righteousness and holiness. The Greek words there uh, only occur three times in scriptures together. In the Septuagint of Deuteronomy 9, Deuteronomy, remember, Moses is giving his final speech to the people of Israel before they cross over in the promised land and he goes off to die. 
And in Deuteronomy 9, he says, God is not leading you into the promised land because of your righteousness and holiness. In other words, you're not righteous and holy. The nations are so wicked, he says, that I'm putting you in the promised land. The implication, I think, of that is you're not righteous and holy. And in fact, I'm very aware that you're going to blow it. You're going to ruin this covenant that we've made, this old covenant. And in the prophets, the prophets talk about the new covenant, the new people will have to be remade. The Messiah is going to come and God will have to do something new in our hearts, right? In Deuteronomy, it's the law. The old covenant is the law. In the new covenant, Christ, uh, uh, God is writing the law on our hearts. We have the Spirit. He's writing it on our hearts. So we're being remade. We're a whole new people in the new covenant. The second time this phrase occurs, righteousness and holiness, with these particular Greek words, is in Luke 1, where Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, uh, is prophesying at John's birth, and he says, the Messiah is coming, and God is making a new people for himself, for the Messiah, who will live with righteousness and holiness. So we have the old covenant in Deuteronomy, right? Luke 1 is the new covenant example. The Messiah is the beginning of the new covenant, and God is making a people in Christ who will live with righteousness and holiness. So Paul picks up this language to say that the body of Christ, that's us, is the new covenant people. We are a people who God has made right before himself, righteousness, and who are devoted to him, holiness. God made this new covenant, this new humanity, to have true righteousness and holiness. If you notice, righteousness and holiness of truth, or righteousness and holiness in truth, or true righteousness and holiness is how this chapter, or verse 24 ends. Uh, true righteousness and holiness of the heart, as opposed to the old righteousness and holiness, false righteousness and holiness of the law. So he's given us true righteousness of the heart. He is making us new in Christ by his Holy Spirit so that we can be his new creation and live out his new covenant. In Christ, we are exactly what God intended for his creation. We are a new creation, and the way that we live reveals to the world that Christ has conquered sin and death and reveals to the world that Christ is coming again to fulfill his kingdom, to make his kingdom fully revealed before the world. So we do not have to live with the patterns of this world. We can live with those who are different from us because we are all one in Christ. We can live for one another because we know that Christ is Lord and is taking care of us. I don't have to look out for myself. I can live for you because Christ is going to take care of me. We can serve others because we know we don't need our own way. We can forgive because Christ has forgiven us and has defeated the power of sin. We don't need to fear death because we know that Christ will raise us up with him. We don't need to be self-righteous because we know that God is making our hearts new by his Holy Spirit. We're a new creation and we bring Christ glory by living as his body, as the new humanity in the new creation. I want to finish. This is actually earlier than last service. It's amazing. I want to finish 
by giving some images of the new humanity. I've given a couple images of the old humanity, the Wally clip. We don't have to live like that. We can live something new, something different. So some images that the church, uh, the body of Christ has presented over history. Uh, I'm a history buff, so lots of these will come from history. The early church uh, showed us that we can live for one another because we know that Christ is Lord and is taking care of us. The early church from about 35 AD to about 300, so over a period of just over 250 years, grew at a pretty continuous rate of about 40% per decade, which is a pretty phenomenal growth rate over that long a period of time especially. The main reasons for that was that the church cared for the needy, the sick, and oppressed, and they were willing to die for their faith. So the martyrs, many martyrs in the early church, and uh, maybe you've heard the phrase, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, right? That's where the church grew up uh, because people were willing to give their lives uh, to show that Christ really is Lord. But also a couple of other examples from the early church. The early church treated women better than the culture did. Women had equality before God, had the same opportunities for salvation that men had. Plus, Christian morality, the way that we lived, prevented practices that were very harmful to women, like polygamy, divorce, birth control, infanticide. So people in the Roman culture, you could kill your babies. Um, And baby boys were preferred, so baby girls were often left to die. And the church would often either gather those babies up, or if a woman gave birth to a baby girl, uh, the church would take care of it, right? So there's more women in the church. Uh, Abortion was very dangerous and often resulted in the death of a mother. Christian church didn't allow abortion. So overall, women did well in the church, which is a good thing for growth because it's the women who have babies, right? So the church was growing. Plus, over a period of about 75 or 80 years, there were two huge epidemics in the Roman Empire that together wiped out about one-third of the population of the empire. Christianity actually grew during this time. And it grew because Christians, unlike the rest of the culture, Christians actually cared for the sick and the hurting. Which, of course, improves their chances for survival. If you're cared for, better chance you're going to survive. Plus, there were lots of people who were left alone. Their families were entirely wiped out. And so the church cared for them. They provided relational and spiritual care for people who were alone. So those people were loved into the church. So the church throughout history, actually, has had a great example of the new humanity, the new creation, with, say, hospitals, which, the Catholic Church in particular, but the, the church in general has continued this love and care for others. Hospitals were originally places just for strangers or for the sick and needy or for anyone who needed food and shelter. And the church has had a long history from the early church through today of caring for people, say, in the monasteries or more recently, more recent example might be the communities of Mother Teresa. Even in our own community, St. Al's is a Catholic hospital and St. Luke's was founded by an Episcopalian bishop. These are examples of the body of Christ loving and caring for people, people they don't even know, right? This is the new humanity. We can care for one another. We can care for people we don't even know because Christ is Lord. 
Another example uh, of this new humanity closer to, to us here, say, is growth groups at Cole. Here's an example of the fact that we can live with those who are different from us because we're all one in Christ. So our growth groups at Cole have different ages in the same group, different socioeconomic statuses, meeting together for fellowship, study of scripture, and for serving one another and others beyond the group. And for Grace and I, our group has been a place where we've received all kinds of love, encouragement, and care for all kinds of needs. And there are people in our group that we would never spend time with if not for our shared love of Christ and for our shared group. But we love our group. It's a, it's a real family for us. And I encourage you, if you don't have a small group that you're a part of, uh, I strongly encourage you to join a growth group. Uh, we need people who are different from us to encourage one another and who together we can live out the new creation, this new humanity. We need one another to be able to do that. A third, I think, really powerful example uh, and a final example for us that we can forgive because Christ has forgiven us and has defeated the power of sin. Uh, many of you remember a few years ago the Amish uh, schoolhouse that would shot up. Um, gunmen went in and, and killed five Amish girls and wounded others. Uh, I just want to read a little uh, dispatch from after that massacre. John Brubaker a retired farmer who's lived among the Amish for 60 years, visited the grieving families in the aftermath of the massacre years ago in the Nickel Mines West School. Instead of anger and calls for retribution against Charles Carl Roberts IV, the gunman who murdered five Amish schoolgirls and wounded five others, Brubaker found compassion and understanding among the plain people of Lancaster County. The parents of the dead and injured girls forgave Roberts almost immediately, and raise money to help his wife and children through their ordeal. Amish women, whose daughters were fatally shot by Roberts, consoled the gunman's father. Half of the mourners at the gunman's funeral were Amish. They were humble and meek, and they showed no signs of, re of revenge, recalls Brubaker, 81 caretaker at the Nickel Mines Mennonite Church. That's their way of living a Christian life. The ability to forgive an unspeakable crime sets the Amish apart from mainstream America, where families of murder victims routinely stand up in court and plead with the judge to invoke the death penalty. While the outside world marvels at their compassion, the Amish see it as a natural outgrowth of their way of life. In Nickel Mines, years after the execution-style killing shocked the world, the Amish appear puzzled at the outside world's fascination with their ability to forgive. That's only possible in Christ, isn't it? We have to be made new for that to happen. The world doesn't want to forgive. I, I don't want to forgive the gunman for that. But the Amish community to whom it happened was willing and able to forgive because of Christ. Again, this is an image of the new creation, a new humanity that points to Christ's forgiveness of us. Again, only possible in Christ. So remember, we are a part of the new creation. The new heavens and new earth are coming, and we are the first of that, the first fruits of that. The body of Christ together, living as Christ to one another, revealing Christ, building one another up in Christ. We are the new humanity, the beginning of 
the final revelation of Christ's kingdom. We are, as the Switchfoot song says, we are a new way to be human. We have put off the old, we've been renewed by the Holy Spirit, and we've put on the new in Christ. Praise God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let me pray. Father, we praise you. We're amazed by what you've done in Christ for us. We are excited to see what you will do when Christ's kingdom is fully revealed and when everyone knows that he is Lord. And now, Father, we ask that you would help us to live now as though that's true, as though Christ really is Lord, as though he really has forgiven us. Because we know it's true. Christ, you have defeated sin and death. And we praise you and we want to participate with you in the world. So I lift up uh, this morning, I lift up today, us this week, your body across the world. Would you continue making us new? Continue to use us to glorify yourself in the world, this new humanity, this body of Christ. We pray. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.